read here. And our our uh, Phoebe for today is Mrs. Kathy Small here. So she's going to read uh, Romans 16, 1 through 16. We're getting to the word together. Romans 16, 1 through 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that ye receive her in the Lord as, as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a sufferer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, under whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my brother, in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodion, my kinsman. Greet them that are of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. <laughs> Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. That was a hard task. <laughs> Especially if you're not fluent in Greek. <laughs> here, thanks, Kathy. So, um, this is a really amazing passage here, and a lot of scholars recommend you read Romans backwards by starting with chapter 16 to try to picture what Paul is addressing here and uh, his his point of Romans, which he gets to in chapters 12 through 16. Um, so I want to talk this morning about these these people that many times you just sit, uh, pass over in the uh, in the end of the letters, but you can't do that because these are flesh and blood people, and it reminds us that these people, wherever they rest today, here these believers he's speaking to now, their souls certainly in, in heaven, their bodies resting, waiting for the resurrection. Uh, these are real people, and this is flesh and blood worship. These are real people. And this morning I want us to see there's one mission, there's one team, one church, and there's one Lord. But to do so, I want you to understand a little bit more about these people. Alright, so it's going to be a little bit of a history lesson. So don't tune me out if you hated history in school, um, because it will help you understand the Bible better. So, 
in, uh, in Rome, in the Roman culture here, and Paul is picking up on what he said in Romans 15. In Romans 15, he circles back to, okay, this is why I, I haven't been able to see you. Here, we saw the mission in Romans chapter 15. But in Roman, uh, Roman culture here, you had five orders of society, five different classes generally. You had the senators. They were extremely elite group. They were restricted to about 600 people. They were the ruling body. Then you had the equestrians. You can think of in medieval days of, of the knights. Um, these were, these were uh, people who had a, many times had a background of being military leaders and then administrators, upper class. Um, they weren't born into slavery. They controlled a lot of the Roman business here. Um, they were really the, the upper class of, of Rome, the nobles. And then you had the plebes, the plebeians. Um, there were several hundred thousand in Rome just alone. They were kind of a mix of the lower and upper class. Uh, they weren't born into slavery. They were freeborn. They didn't have a lot of money. There wasn't much of a middle class in Rome because slaves took over many of their jobs. Um, there, was not, there was not a lot of employment in the plebeian uh, uh, status here. And then there were the freedmen or freedwomen. They were 80% of the Roman citizens and they were as close as you could get to the middle class. They were former slaves who were free. And they had a lot of mobility. In fact, you can even read in the book of Acts about a Roman uh, general who was, a, who was born a slave, but he was free at that time. Here who speaks to Paul. And then there were the slaves. And the slaves were approximately 30% of the population of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had about 16 million people. Um, and uh, slaves were a thing. They were property. But men, you were able to obtain your freedom and join the workforce. Ironically, many of the slaves were well-educated and taught the children of the, uh, of the, of the slave owners that they, that they labored in. Uh, it was different than the chattel slavery here, the Civil War that we fought against, uh, and, and those kinds of things. That's usually what people bring to mind when they think of slavery here. There was, a, there was an, uh, an out, and uh, there were some things that were similar, but a lot of things that weren't. But that might lead us to another question. So where does Paul fit in this? Who's Paul? Like, where does he fit in these levels here? So Paul was a freeborn Roman citizen. He would have been like the plebeian class here. But he wasn't wealthy. He wasn't wealthy. Probably some other people in this, in this list here were, were freeborn, but would have been wealthy, like Rufus, perhaps, and Phoebe, and Priscilla here. But the rest in this list of names that we talked about were on the bottom end. There were names that were commonly used of slaves or freedmen or freed women. But regardless if they were freedmen or free women, they stood on the bottom rungs of Roman society. And that's important. Because that confirms what the New Testament scholars have said for years, that early Christianity was a movement mainly of the lower classes of Roman society. Though there were some exceptions. Well... Where in Rome were these house churches? Where in Rome were these house churches? We actually know where these house churches were in the city of Rome. And you can't read these names here on the screen, so it's about far away they were. But you can, might be able to see this right here. This snaking river here is the Tiber River. And many of the people would have lived in this area right here that this map calls the Trans-Tiberine, or other maps call the Trastevere. House churches were located there in the first century. Um, 
There was a road over here called the Via Appia. Via Appia that headed through here. And there were also many uh, house churches and Christians that lived there. And between the two, there's an area up around right in here called the Aventine. The Aventine, that's where the senators lived. That was like uh, Beverly Hills uh, in Rome in that day, where the senators were forming their, their homes. And there was a few Christian uh, uh, Christians that lived there, but not many, uh, according to historians. And then there was this field uh, up here called Mars Field, right about here in this road called the Via Flamina. And right about there, um, uh, there, there were um, uh, uh, there, there, there was a Christian presence that came out of some Jewish synagogue gatherings. But this area right here, very densely populated, it would have been a swampy area of Rome. It was connected to the port and harbor, and people connected to the to the harbor and trade and transportation. Uh, there would be shopkeepers and those who tanned skins, and you can imagine the smells there. Uh, was home to travelers. That was where a lot of these believers um, came from. All that to say this. The Christians of Rome were located pretty much among the poor people. With some sprinklings of some, some high, high, higher class uh, and higher status individuals. It's during this time that Paul is writing this letter that the emperor at this time, Nero, who succeeded Claudius, he had excited a lot of hopes for trade and jobs and reduced taxes. And so some immigrant followers of Jesus, as well as the local Roman believers, may have well been employed in Nero's numerous projects, building projects. Uh, he built this uh, a, a circus over here, the Circus of Nero, and some of them might have been involved in the construction of that. <clears throat> Where did they meet? Where did these early Christians meet throughout the empire? Well, they met in house churches. The Christians who could afford their own house would open their house to worship. And these house churches really were about the size of what could be housed in the house. Uh, if it was a larger house by a wealthy person and they had a place to do it, um, then there would be about 50 people. But most of them were little clusters, but they were all connected and networked here. Um, and one of these hosts of these house churches, read about right here in chapter 16, verse 3, Priscilla and Philip, they're probably wealthy. And so they, could, they would have the, their shop on the bottom level, and then they would have their apartment above that, and they could use both of those spaces here for, for, uh, for, for housing believers here in first century Rome. Um, but most of the people who lived in, in Rome in these poor parts here lived in these little tiny uh, tenement housing uh, units there in the city of Rome. When we read these uh, verses here, these lists of people here, there's a tendency in the ancient world to give uh, certain names to certain kinds of people. Wealthy people high on the social ladder would tend to gravitate toward these names they would name their children. And poorer people, uh, slaves or former slaves, would, would use or be made to use other names. And when we look at this list here, the church in Rome that Paul greets, he greets on his behalf 26 individuals. There's a few families, and there's probably five house churches here that he's reaching. So there might have been about 200 total believers represented in these names. There's a church in the house of Priscilla and Aquila in verse 5. There's those among the house of Aristobulus in verse 10. Those among the house of Narcissus in verse 11. 
uh, Asyncritus and his brothers and sisters in verse 14, and Philogus, Philogus and the Lord's holy people in verse 15. So there's a chance Phoebe may have read this letter five times, these different little house churches here. Most of the names here are Gentile, a few Jewish. Most names are usually used as slaves or freedmen. There are men, and there is about eight or nine women here. Eleven of them had moved to Rome, had migrated to Rome. And these verses, verse 3 through 15, are a connected whole. Now, as we read this, or Phoebe read it for us this morning, you might have noticed that Paul gives a lot of information, and then it starts to get more and more general as he gets toward the end in verse 15. But you might know, notice there that up to about verse 1 through 8, there's a lot of things that he says, specific of people. And then in verses 8 through 15, they might be people he knows only casually or just by reputation. Um, this church ended up being a very powerful and influential church, this Roman church. And as you noticed in chapter 16, he says this, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church that is at Centria. So up here is Rome, right up in this left-hand corner. Down here is Corinth. Corinth was connected to Centria. Corinth was a port city, and there was a little strip of land and on the other side of the water, and that's where Centria is. And later they would dig a canal so those two places could be connected. But that's where Phoebe was. So she was a, probably of a church that was planted out of Corinth, because Corinth was a hub there. She's called a sister in Christ. She's a sibling of Jesus and Jesus' people. She's called a servant of the church in Centria, which probably meant this. She's not just called a servant of the Lord, she's called a servant of the church, which probably meant she had a role very much like a deacon. She served in a variety of ways here, like a, like, a, like a Tabitha or a Dorcas in the book of Acts here. She was a woman who had who was served in a, in, a, in a recognized capacity. She's a servant of the church in Centria. But what's interesting about Phoebe here is her character. Her character. Let's look what Paul says. That you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, as is, as is appropriate for saints to do, to receive, show hospitality. And that you assist her in whatsoever business she has need of, for she has been a, a, a helper of many and of myself also. What Paul's saying is this. Phoebe was probably a Gentile. Her name Phoebe means Titan. Titan S, actually. She's a servant of the church, which is more than just saying a servant of the Lord. She's recognized in that church in Centria. She's called a helper, a, a benefactor. She was probably a very wealthy businesswoman. And now, because she knows Christ, she's using this for the influence of the mission. And Paul tells these, two, these people in Rome, receive her. That means welcome you into our fellowship. And the reason he's writing this here is because in those days, when you were going to send someone with a letter, there wasn't a post office. The Roman government only delivered Roman government letters. You wanted something to get to your friend in California, you had to find a way to get it there. You had to pay for somebody to do it. And this letter of, uh, this letter of Romans probably would have cost about two or $3,000 in today's money to get there. She's part of this. She's invested in this mission here. And she's called a benefactor, a helper. 
here. And what that means is this. A helper was a patron, uh, a benefactor. They were a wealthy person from the upper class of Roman society, and they gave of their means to a cause for a city or people. Sometimes they would donate to for a, for a civic building or humanitarian effort, or uh, maybe the city would be low on grain and people really going hungry, and they would fork over a certain amount of money to help provide uh, grain for the city here. That's the kind of woman Phoebe was. And as a result, then the city would give them those people a place of honor. She was had that kind of a place of honor in Centria here. She was a patron, but now she was shifting her patronage. Sure, she was involved in her society, in her city, but she was shifting her patronage now for the mission of making disciples with Paul. And she is going to be the one that's going to be the courier for this letter. You say, how do you know that? Where does that come from? It doesn't say that. Because what would happen, because there was no post office, and I would say, hey, Rowan, I want you to deliver this. I'm going to pay you to get this over to California here. And I'm going to pay for your gas, and you're going to pay for your rental vehicle, and your food and lodging and everything. As I would send with, with, with Rowan here a commendation letter. This commendation letter here would be like his, his, uh, his thumbs up to the people receiving this, that he was worthy uh, to be received and take care of him and send him back here. But this is legit. He was a legitimate uh, deliverer here. And that's what Paul's doing in chapter 16. Because he's listing her as the first person here. He's sending her. So he wants them to know, this is the person I'm sending to you here. She was a, she was a, a legitimate uh, a person here. Uh, and now Paul is telling these these uh, Romans here, share your hospitality with her now. Receive her. Take care of her. She's your sister in the Lord. She's serving of the, of the church in, in Centria here. And she's delivering this. So take care of her. She also has some business in Rome. Perhaps she had a legal dispute or something to take care of in Rome. So help her in that as well. Look out for her. And that's Phoebe. And then in verse 3. Greet. Salute, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that is in their house. This couple here. Priscilla is listed first. This is a missionary wife and husband team. Paul met them at Corinth on his second missionary journey. Luke tells us that Priscilla and Aquila had come from Italy because Claudius, had, the emperor, had issued a decree to kick all the Jews out of Rome. So they had come down. They met him in Corinth. And probably it's where Paul met them where they're working in the marketplace uh, as, as cloth makers here that they come to Christ. And so they served with Paul for some time at Corinth. And then Paul drops them off at Ephesus, this husband and wife team, to begin the work there in Acts 18. And they're hugely instrumental in helping Apollos, one of God's teachers in the church, really be able to spread his wings more fully here, a better understanding of Christ. And then Paul joins them. And now they're back up in Rome. And later on, at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's telling them to, uh, telling Timothy to greet Priscilla and Aquila because they're back in Ephesus. So these are people who have their own business, but yet we're not looking at their business as their identity. They're looking at their business as a means of mission and using it for that. And Paul says they're fellow workers. The word is synergy. They work together with Paul in this task of making disciples and planting churches here. 
They risked their neck, Paul said. That is, they saved his life. It could have been in the, in the riot that happened in Ephesus. We don't know. But Paul says they risked their necks. They've laid their necks bare here for the sake of the gospel. That's the kind of people these uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were. And he gives thanks. So where's my Priscilla and Aquila here? Hello. All right, everybody wave to Priscilla and Aquila. All right, they're, they're up here in the front row here. Um, Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul says he has good reasons to give thanks to them, but not just them. All the churches of the Gentiles owe something to these people. They, they're an amazing couple. Amazing couple. And then he says they're in Rome. And what are they doing in Rome? They've been finally allowed to go back as Jewish people. And what are they doing in Rome? They're house church leaders. They have a church in their house. And he says, greet them. Greet them. So they must have been able to provide some kind of decent-sized meeting room for a group of Christians in Rome. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Does anybody have the one that says the church that's in Aquila and Priscilla's house? All right, you do? Okay. So all around you there, that's your, that's your church, okay? <laughs> that's part of your church there. Then he says, greet my beloved Epineus, Epineus, who was the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. First fruits of Achaia. So he was the first convert in the Roman province of Asia, Asia Minor. Where's my Epineus? There he is, Dwayne Rallo, right? Everybody waved to Epineus back there in the corner there. You were the first fruit in Asia. You were the first convert in Asia Minor here on the Gentile mission here. Uh, might have been Ephesus. We're not sure here. And Paul mentions him because he's brought to faith probably through the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. And he's now come with them. So they're bringing people along with them on this mission as maybe as a business associate or, or ministry worker. So there's Epinetus. And then there's Mary. Who's Mary here this morning? Who has Mary? All right, Naomi's Mary. Everybody wave to Mary um, back there. Her name would have been Miriam uh, if she was Jewish or Maria in, in Rome there. And Paul says this, she labored much for us. Do you notice already we have two ladies, three ladies mentioned in this, involved in this task of making disciples who labored much for us. That word labored much means to the point of exhaustion. Point of exhaustion. She labored much for us. And then, verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia. Where is Andronicus and Junia? There they are right there. Charlie and Becky. Andronicus and, Uni, and, and Junia here. And he says, they're my countrymen, my kinsmen. That, that, uh, that means that they were, they were Jewish, probably, as well as Paul. And then he says they were what? Skip the couple here. They are fellow prisoners. They were fellow prisoners. Fellow prisoners. These were POWs. These were prisoners of the spiritual warfare. They had been put in prison, both of them, for the cause of Christ. We don't know why or, or what for uh, here, but Paul says in verse, um, <clears throat> verse 7, They are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. This is a very interesting thing here. What he means is this. The way the grammar is, it's kind of hard to catch in English, but in the, in the original language, the grammar is this. These two are apostles who are recognized among the apostles. Now, when we hear that word apostles, we think of the twelve, right? Um, you know, and you had, they had authority. Uh, they, were, they were writing the scripture, etc. here. 
But there are other people in Scripture who are called apostles. Apostles simply means sent ones. And our, our best comparison to apostle, really, is somebody who's a missionary, who has this apostolic, this sent forth vision here, uh, this, this, this task here of planting churches, overseeing the planting of churches here. And there was a husband and wife team, Andronicus and Junia, who were committed to that to the point of being in prison for it. And Paul says, they knew Christ before I did. Paul comes to the Lord not long after Jesus' resurrection and ascension there. It's not too long after that he comes to Christ. So these may have come to Christ um, during that, that early time. Perhaps it was at Pentecost or before. We don't know here. But these were a husband, another husband and wife team here who were laboring for the gospel in this mission of making disciples and planting churches here, Andronicus and Junian. And they stood out even among the apostles, the other missionaries. And then in verses 8 and 9, you have some other uh, folks mentioned here. You have Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. That name was probably used of a slave or a freedman. Um, in the catacombs later on when these believers were persecuted by Nero and they fled to the underground tombs to meet in uh, for the underground church, there is, a, there is an Amplius who's mentioned inscribed in those catacombs. Then there's Urbanus. You know what Urbanus means? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot Amplius. Where's my Amplius? There's Amplius there, right? Mike, everybody wave to Amplius. You are my beloved in the Lord. And Urbanus. Doris back there, Urbanus. Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Also probably a slave or a freedman. And Urbanus means this. You ready? City boy. <laughs> Not a country. Not a country, guys. City boy. Fellow worker in Christ. Urbanus. So his name was used as a slave, but yet he's ministering along with the same mission here. And then in verse 9, there's, there's Stachys. Where's Stachys? There, there's Stachys right there. Captain Stachys. And he's again, he's called my beloved. My beloved. These are people who weren't just names to Paul. There's relationships, there's memories, there's things that stick in his mind here. That he's saying, I know you guys, and I want you to join in here. I want you to join in this Gentile mission and we go into Spain. And then verse 10. <clears throat> Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Who's Apelles? Tina, Apelles, approved. That word approved is the idea of testing. Like you've gone through something and now you're approved. There, there's, there, there, he may have gone through a very difficult trial in life. And he's come forth as gold. And Paul says, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. And then he says, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Does anybody have that one? You're of the household of Aristobulus. All right, Jason there. So everybody around you, you're part of the household of Aristobulus. Aristobulus is probably a nobleman, a wealthy man. And you may have been part of his 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 uh, his family. Uh, you may have it probably is referring to slaves of the household of a man named Aristobulus. He doesn't greet Aristobulus directly. Aristobulus probably was not a believer. Indeed, he might have been dead because there's some reason to think that this Aristobulus was one mentioned in the history books who was the brother of King Herod Agrippa, who died in AD 48. But he's still got a household here. And there's a church that is represented there. And then he says, uh, Greek Herodian, my countryman, my kinsman, another 
probable Jew here. Who's Herodian? Herodian there, Jess. Um, my countrymen. Paul says, we got a bond here. We're, we're Jewish together. He's, he's probably a freedman. And he's called Herodian because he was in the service of one of the Herods of the Bible that you might know of. And then greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. There's the household of Narcissus. So you guys in that cluster there would have been the household of Narcissus. Narcissus was a well-known guy in the history books. He was a well-known freedman. He served the emperor Claudius. And he committed suicide just before Paul wrote Romans. And the people Paul greets would have been members of this Narcissus household. Narcissus is probably not a believer, but these people in his household were here. And Paul says, you are in the Lord. You're in the Lord. And then, in verse 12, two sisters, probably. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Where are my sisters? There they are back there. Tryphena and Tryphosa who labored in the Lord. They were probably slaves or freed women. Some suggested they could have been twins. You know what their names mean? Delicate and dainty. That's what their names mean. It's unclear whether Paul intended an irony because what does he say they did? They what? They labored. They worked hard in the Lord. They worked hard in the Lord. Two sisters. Then in verse 12, another woman. Greet the beloved Persa. She may have come from the Persian region, the Babylonian region, who labored much in the Lord. Who's Persis? Here. Paula. Persis. She was probably an older woman. She may have been a slave or freed woman because of the way that Paul says, you labored much. It's more of the past tense here, slave or freed woman. And then he says in verse 13, greet Rufus. Who's Rufus? There's Rufus. Rufus, you're chosen in the Lord. And greet Rufus's mother. There's Rufus's mother there. And Paul says, she's not just Rufus's mom, she's my mom too. That's what Paul says. Chosen the Lord and his mother and mine. When Mark writes his gospel, 16 chapters, a lot of scholars believe that he wrote it from Rome. And in that gospel, he mentions a Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross up the hill, who was a father to Rufus. And many people believe that that was his way of connecting Rome and someone who lived in Rome, Rufus, with what happened in Jerusalem that day. This could have been the very Rufus. We don't know here. Chosen in the Lord and his mother. And then in verse 14. Greet. Asyncritus. Anybody have that one? Kim, Asyncritus. Phlegon. There's Phlegon, Carrie. Hermes. Tim, Hermes. And there's also Petrobus, Carla, Hermes, Sam, and then the brethren who are with them. Who's the brethren who are with Hermes? We got that one. It was a big group of people. All right. Um, Hermes is probably a slave or freedman. Those with them probably refer to other Christians who met together. They were part of the same cluster, the same network here. Um, so there's there's another group there. And then in verse 15, greet Philologus. Who's got that one? We got that one, Philologus? 
and Julia. There's Julia, uh, Barbara Jean back there. They were probably a husband and wife again. And then there was Nereus. Anybody have Nereus? Nereus, Andy. And his sister, Nereus' sister, Vanilla. And Olympus. Right there, Alicia. And all the saints who were with them. Who were all the saints who were with Olympus? We got that one. So there's another how, another another church. Here, Nereus uh, and his sister may have been the children of Philologus and, and Julia here. And they made apparently their, their house available for Christians to meet in. And Paul knows only of one other member of, of their house church by name. And the others are, are kind of general. All the, all, the, all the saints with them. And then he closes with this in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This idea of greeting is, is, is welcoming one another. What do you do to make people feel welcome? Well, in those days, it was a peck on either cheek, right? It wasn't uh, a long, sloppy kiss. It was more like a handshake here. It was a welcoming here. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So he's telling all these clusters of churches, greet each other. And then he says, uh, and, he, and, he's, and he's writing this, a worship gathering, and this letter's being read aloud. And many times these worship gatherings would be concluded with this, with, uh, with this holy kiss. Then he says, the churches of Christ... I remember what he had wrote in chapter 15 that he had fully preached the gospel from where? From Jerusalem to Elycrium. And what he meant by that is that he had seen this process happen. That it would then trickle down to the other villages. But he had targeted the strategic areas. He'd evangelized strategically here by making points of contact. He would then establish local churches and, and, and then uh, strengthen the believers and then he would entrust leaders over them. Paul had done that. And so when he says the churches of Christ greet you, he's referring to these churches that he had been that he had been instrumental in planning in his ministry from Jerusalem to Elycrium. And so when he's saying uh, greeting this church in Rome from so many of these other churches, what he is doing is showing how we're all connected and we're not independent. We're all connected and he's bringing them into the sphere of churches that know and support him. So what do we see from these verses? Well, I want you to see that there's one Lord. There's one Lord. Do you notice that phrase over and over in there? It's repeated a lot. In Christ. Labored in the Lord. Over and over. In the Lord. These people, their primary identity is not what they do. It's not what, they are, uh, what their occupation is. It's not who their physical family is. Their primary identity is that they are in Christ. They are in the Lord. On a variety of people, right? Jew, Gentile, slave, rich, poor. And they're all in Christ together. The churches of Christ greet you. They're in the Lord. And then secondly, I want you to see that there's, there's one church. Yeah, there's many local churches, but when it all comes down to it, there's one church of Jesus. There's one church of Jesus. And we'll fully realize that when we're in eternity, won't we? There's one church. There are many house churches. But they're not independent in the sense that they just do their own thing. They're a network of interdependent churches that are, our, that are Christ's bride and the church that he is building. And then I want you to see this. There is one mission. One mission. Some of the names that Paul lists here 
are people who we served with in other places. There, there are several of these who served in making disciples with Paul in various places, especially Ephesus. So, these, so God does not intend uh, 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 believers who are in Christ to be spectators, right? But to find their way to contribute to this task of making disciples who make disciples. These, these people were not spectators. They made and they matured and they mobilized. They discovered, they developed, and they deployed. Or, if we're looking at Paul's cycle here, they evangelized, they established disciple believers, and they entrusted to leaders. Some of them used their business as mission. All of them were partners in the gospel. These were agents of the kingdom. They were warriors. They recognized ministering, and they encouraged building teamwork and adding teammates and partners. And we have a number of people in our church who are ministering in a variety of ways, and we are so thankful for that. And I want to I warn you to not see your efforts here as individual efforts. Paul's ministry and his model here was to see it all as being interconnected to building his church and partnering. So it's not, you know, my Sunday school class or my ministry here. But it's, and it's, so it's wrong for us to view these things and participate in these things without a connection to building Jesus' church. And so share what's going on. Every one of you who are doing a ministry should have somebody alongside of you. I was um, reading about a, mission, a missionary in India recently, and uh, his father had, had uh, raised up 60,000 house churches in India before he died. And then this man took over, and it became in the hundreds of thousands. And they asked him, "What was there anything different there? He said, well, one thing that I made sure was implemented in the church was this, that if you did something, someone else was doing it with you. No matter what you were doing, you were training somebody else to do that. And the house churches just exploded there in India. Listen, we've got to let in on each other's clusters here, our stories and how we're connecting to all of them. We're not some individualistic Lone Ranger. Was Paul a Lone Ranger? Absolutely not. He believed in team ministry, didn't he? Not individualistic, but interdependent. God has a big picture for his church and his mission is in ministry, one of the greatest bonds you're going to have is when you minister and serve with other people. Vic could tell you that some of the greatest relationships he has is taking teams to Cuba with him. Some of you have walked through other ministries where you work together, and there were some hard things that you did together, but you know what? There were some things that God just did and just brought you guys together closer than ever. When the church has a mission, the church's worship expands. A lot of times we think it's the other way around. We think, okay, we need, we need to worship, and then we'll go and do work together. But when we do work together and labor for the Lord and see him do things that we can't do, it expands our mission. It's probably chicken and the egg kind of stuff here, because it probably all is... Is all that, both there, both and rather than either or here. But there's a big platform. And you know what? There's a lie that the devil wants us to hear as workers for Jesus. You know what the lie is? 
You are alone and on your own. Not according to this. Functionally, practically, what are some ways and things that you can do as you're involved in serving the Lord to not be alone? To call people up? To give opportunities to serve? Sunday school teachers, who's going to take over for you? Right? Other ministry leaders, who's going to take over for you? Are you letting other people have more and more opportunities to grow and take those teaching opportunities or ministering opportunities, whatever they are? We have to trust the Holy Spirit that he knows what he's doing, that he's raising up people. My generation is basically absent in circles of churches that I see. And they're responsible for their own things. One of the things that didn't happen was trusting people. We didn't give my generation opportunities. Now I stand before you as an obvious exception to that. Right? You trusted me to be a pastor. Um, but we didn't trust young people to do stuff. Because we're worried they would fail or mess things up. I just can't see Paul doing that. He has people that fail. That happens. Chalk it up to ministry. Ministry is messy. He goes ahead and he does it. And trust, not fear, motivated Paul. He's encouraging this church here. Hey, I'm coming through. I want to see you. Remember this? Remember this about you? We got a mission to go on. I'm going to Spain. Some of you are going to stay behind and you're going to be senders, and some of you are going to go with me. Who's going to go with me? But regardless of whether you're a sender or a goer, are you going to be all in for Jesus' mission? You see, Jesus has more local mission, and then he has more expansive mission beyond that, right? Some people have a focus on the local. Some people, the, the, the New Testament calls them ministers of the gospel, like Timothy and Titus and others. They moved beyond the local church, but they were also rooted in their own local church here. And Paul says, get a teammate. Get a teammate. Who's not a lone ranger. And what is this ministry here? Well, Paul depended on a significant number of others who were working with him. If Paul needed that help, we do too. And don't confine ministry to what certain full-time Christian workers do. You see, we have one Lord together who has a mission. He has one church for his mission, of which South Hope Community Church is to be a part of and is a part of. And together, in this one mission, to make obedient disciples who come to Christ for their full salvation, they're marked out by baptism, and they move from spiritual infancy to adult maturity, and they join in as obedient disciple-makers, God says, this is what I have for you. And you only have this much time left. Let me close with this. You might say, well, how do I start? And I say, you have a kitchen table. Do you have a living room? Do you realize that much of this gospel mission of planting churches in Paul's day was dependent on hospitality. Mm 
And if hospitality did not happen, we would not have the gospel today. And I began thinking about that and asking myself, yeah, but we're in Maine. We're so private and don't like to share our lives. Or we're kind of scared to open our doors to people and have people come over. And then I thought, yeah, but we just can't let our cultural value interfere with what God tells us to do. There's lots of commands about being just being hospitable people, right? Um, let me ask you this question here. Because we all have excuses why we don't practice hospitality. I know that. I have my own. We have our own. Five kids and etc. We can come up with all kinds of things and say, no, we're not going to have anybody over. If that first century practiced hospitality like you do, where would the gospel have traveled or not traveled? When I thought about that, that was pretty convicting. Hospitality is way different from entertainment. Entertainment means I've got to have a nice clean house and perfect situation for people to come over. And I Hospitality is, hey, come on over here, let's have coffee. What's the Lord doing in your life? What's going on? How can I pray for you? How can I care for you? What are some ways you need encouragement or prayer? It's simple. And if you've got a kitchen table and you've got some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or some coffee or a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, you can participate in this mission. Let me tell you something here. After this last year, this last year revealed something that was already happening here. It caused people to want to go into a vacuum. And we don't have face-to-face relationships like we need to. Please don't interpret this as me picking on you. But I want to tell you something. I was talking to a couple who came to Christ years ago and came to our church years ago. They came to Christ. They left the wild lifestyle and came to Christ. And their story was this. When they came to South Hope, it was two or three years before anybody ever invited them to their house. As an unbeliever. Leaving their circles of relationships of crazy lifestyle. Saying, Jesus makes us all one and welcomes us into his family. And hearing that on Sunday... And not one time for two or three years did another believer invite them into their house. May that never be. May that never be. And I don't speak to you as one who has this all figured out. I speak to you as one who loves my privacy, who would much rather, when I see cars pull in my driveway, hide behind my couch and peek over it. That's who I am, naturally, here. That's sin. Okay? Can't do that. I have to say no and yes. Sometimes I see my neighbor come up with his. Um, uh, he might be listening. I hope he is. Come up in his. Uh, um, what's the green thing he drives? His gator, his John, his uh, John Deere uh, gator. 
here? And I'm like, oh, I don't have time for that. He's done a long talk. Right? That's, that's how sinful my heart is. Right? How biblical is that? God's sending a neighbor up to me. I don't even have to go to him. Right? <laughs> who wants to know how I'm doing. He's a way better neighbor than I've ever been. I mean, last week he gave us a bunch of meat from his freezer. Uh, here. All we did before was meeting him was give him a meal when he was really sick and that opened up a lot of doors. Use hospitality for the sake of the gospel. Do you notice this theme here in, this, in, in, in Romans 16? These people were together. They're sharing life together. And God's given us a mission to make disciples through our relationships. That's how we do it. That is a normal way of making disciples. You hear the, the highlight instances there of, 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 of Philip preaching in Samaria, etc. here. It wasn't like he got into the town square, stepped on a box, and started yelling at people. Sometimes that did happen. That was not usually the case. Usually the case was he mingled, start relationships. Some of you are amazing at that. You have ways of just connecting with people. Hey, you know so-and-so and so so I can imagine Paul around the port of Corinth. See these sailors coming to Corinth and saying, Hey, you ever heard of a sailcloth? Maker in Rome, where you came from? Aquila? I can just imagine these conversations that Paul had here. And God can do great things. So I say that all, all to say this here. We have one Lord, we have one church for his mission, and we have one mission. And let's go and make disciples. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, we never want to do things just out of guilt. That's a motivation, but that's not a superior motivation. We want to do things out of our love for you and out of our um, abiding in you and becoming like you. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever points of application here we took from Romans 16, Lord, that it would be uh, motivated out of a, a love for you and a welcoming of others as you have welcomed us. Lord, as someone who is uh, geared to be introverted and want to just do things my own way, uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak into that sin and that you would help me to put on Lord Jesus Christ here who sincerely loves And Lord, may we use the resources and the stewardship of our relationships for your great cause of making and maturing and mobilizing disciples to become disciple makers. In Jesus' name we pray.